0: All right, hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them to Proverbs chapter 5. There is a Bible app event for this message. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app, click the menu and look for an event near you. You're going to find uh, some notes and also the, the biblical text uh, to follow along here. I, I love the intrigue of mysteries. Uh, Laurel and I find ourselves very frequently watching mysteries. In fact, we've got BritBox. Uh, it's like Netflix, but it's all British stuff. And it's just loaded with mysteries. And so that's how we kind of unwind in the evening. We enjoy we enjoy mystery. In fact, I, I've noticed like the first couple seasons of any series on, on, in that genre feels the best. Because that's when the mystery is after a while you've figured everything out. Uh, I, I think one of my favorite shows that I ever watched. Did you, did you watch Lost? How many watch Lost? Let me see. Yeah, that was like to me, what are they doing on that island? And what is that loud noise on that island? And who put that idol on that island? And what is underneath that door? And it was just loaded with intrigue. I love intrigue. Intrigue is universally alluring, you know? There's a large section section of your internet viewing that turns out to be loaded with intrigue and maybe you hadn't even thought of it before, but have you seen all the clip clickbait that is there to grab your attention? And almost all of that is based in intrigue. You would not believe what they discovered when they opened this door, you know, it's like, "Oh, I wonder what's behind that door?" And the intrigue makes me click that ad and then I find out it's like Charmin tissue they're talking about. I'm not sure, right? Ten things you need to know before buying a smartphone. You know, I've clicked those. They're not that hot. But the intrigue gets me to do it. See what happened to this Florida man when he lost his photo ID in the airport. Why do I need to know that? I don't know, but I've got to click it. Because intrigue is incredibly powerful. We are people who are often intrigued. And I don't think that's bad. I think that God wired us with a a desire to learn and to grow and to know things. And intrigue is at the foundation of that. I mean, intrigue is what taught us to bake bread. And the men's group had some of Gage's bread this past week. And the only way it could have been better is if it would have been bathed on both sides in hot butter. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Intrigue is what taught somebody, let's grind up these little wheat kernels and mix them with some yeast. And I don't know what else you put in there because I don't know how to make bread. But when it comes out, I know what it is. And I'm thankful for the intrigue that led us to that. Intrigue is what made the Europeans look west and say, hey, wonder what's on the other side of that. Intrigue is probably what first interested you in the person you married, or the person you will marry eventually. Intrigue will definitely be part of that. Intrigue is a powerful force. But as with many of the good things that God places in us, intrigue can take us to places that aren't good, places that lead us away from God, And over and over in your life, you come upon these intersections, and you say, I wonder what's down there, and I wonder what's down there, and I wonder what's over there. And that intrigue uh, can leave you in a place where you really don't know which way to turn. I want today to kind of talk about what the scripture says about that, so that you can uh, maybe act wisely when you find yourself at the intersection of intrigue. So I asked you a moment ago to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to read about a dozen verses, actually 11 of them. Follow along silently as I read. I'll be reading from the NIV. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she doesn't know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Wow, that is one positive piece of literature right there, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a powerful piece of literature. Here you have this gentleman, his name is Solomon. We're almost certain Solomon wrote this, or at least tradition tells us that. He's the king, he's the wisest man who ever lived. And he is speaking to his sons about adultery. And because it's God's word, it isn't just for his sons. It applies to and it works for and it's important to all of us what he's saying here. Solomon is speaking about this sin of a sexual nature, an important topic to address. But when you read Proverbs and you read the writings of Solomon and either others who write there and consider those words, you often find that they they have meaning in a broader sense than just the one thing that Solomon might be talking about here. And generally, maybe not generally, but frequently, the thing he warns about is this issue of intrigue and how it can take you the wrong place. And like uh, this passage, many of the Proverbs speak to that. So we're in a sermon series, and the sermon series is on walking or driving the highway of life that we're on and all these side streets that we get on. We talked about the side street, uh, I can't remember last week, what was it? Say it again. Escapism, Escapism. yeah, there it was, yeah. We talked about the side side street of escapism. We talked about uh, another one about being entitled, that street. Today we're talking about this intersection of intrigue. And as we talk about this uh, intrigue thing, I I just want to begin by saying, you know, there are different kinds of intrigue. I would guess that every single part of the world is intriguing to um, a gentleman named George Washington Carver, the peanut was pretty intriguing. Did you know that that guy, with the peanut and with sweet potatoes and with soybeans, he actually developed hundreds of products from those. He was intrigued by those three things and kind of changed the world, at least the food world, by his intrigue. I want to talk about intrigue and and what is it that makes intrigue work in our life as we talk about these kinds of intrigue. And and the first thing is there's an intrigue in that which is not familiar to us. Because generally, if we're not careful, we develop sort of a contempt for the ordinary. Speaking of bread, my mom always made homemade bread and I kinda got tired of it, what was wrong with me? And for a season in my life, I felt like Wonder Bread was better, what was wrong with me? I had a contempt for the ordinary, for the everyday, and it made me miss out on something really good. This contempt with the ordinary, when it is coupled with that getting wind of something you never encounter, it really makes that something you've never encountered seem interesting. The grass, it's always greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener because you're not familiar with it. It's intrigue for the unfamiliar. To most people, the adulterer is unfamiliar. And that can make him or her seem appealing. That's a little bit of what Solomon's saying in verse 3 when he says, for the lips of the adulteress woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. They're not literally dripping honey. There's no olive oil literally in her words, but what he's saying is there's something amazingly appealing about that, and part of that enticement is the unfamiliar. It can happen not just with the adulterous man or woman, but it can happen with your job, and you become enticed, intrigued by a different job with which you're not familiar. It can happen with your spouse, It can happen with your religion. I'm just bored with what I have here. I just need something new. And that intrigue can take you places you don't want to go. Intrigue's really powerful. I can remember when Laurel and I were in Georgia. We were students, and uh, we didn't have any children. We lived in the summers. We lived a pretty carefree lifestyle. And I can remember we had a Yamaha sport touring bike, a Seika 750. And we literally, on a summer day, pull up to the end of the parking lot and I'd look to the right and I'd look at the clouds and I'd look to the left and I'd look at the clouds and wherever there were less clouds, that's the direction we turned. Can you think of a more carefree kind of life? Those were such good times. And I can remember when we would head out, we we would kind of live to answer the question, what's around the next corner? I wonder what's up this road. What's just over the crest of the, the road in front of us? What's over this hilltop or in the Smoky Mountains, which is where we lived, this mountaintop? Guess what we would see when we would look to the other side of the mountain? The other side of the mountain, just what the bear saw. Exactly, exactly. But we were interested in it because it seemed uncommon to us. And intrigue is generally heightened when you're encountering the unfamiliar. And it can be very harmless, There is nothing wrong with the other side of the mountain. But it can also take you places that you don't want to go. For someone else, the intersection might hold a fascination with the forbidden, you know? And honestly, I think that's where occultism gets a lot of its traction. It's like, oh, don't do the occult thing. Is that a Ouija board? Nope, can't do the Ouija board. And I understand the dangers inherent therein. We spoke about that a few weeks ago when I preached on spiritism. I think sometimes that... Those things that are forbidden kind of want to draw us in. I remember one time, I was a pastor when this happened. I'm driving down a highway, and I see this sign. that says, Madam So-and-So Can Read Your Palm. And I'm like, that'd be kind of neat to do that. I'm a pastor, for crying out loud. I didn't do that. But the forbidden can draw us in. That background, it's on the slides right there. That's just a generic photo. It's free. But it often reminds people of the blues legend Robert Johnson. Anyone know his story? Yeah, a few of you do. Yeah. I love Robert Johnson. I love what Clapton did with his music. And uh, Robert Johnson was a blues artist. I think he was 27 when he was killed. Um, But he is a guy who went down to the crossroads and made a deal with the devil, or so the legend says. He sold his soul to the devil to become a better guitarist. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story, isn't it? It's an intriguing story, isn't it? Oh seems like it's forbidden. I think I might want to, no, 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 no. That allure for the forbidden is not a good thing. You want to be aware of that. Some of us, when we stand at this intersection, we probably feel a little bit of what the Apostle Paul wrote when he's writing in Romans 7, where he says in verse 19, I don't do, I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Why is that? And I have to wonder if part of it is the intrigue of the forbidden that draws us to places that we don't want to go. As you stand at this intersection, you might want to guard against the intrigue of the more or the ultimate. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think that's just a lousy way to phrase that, but I couldn't come up with anything better. Okay? Let me try to explain to you what I mean by that. There was an author several years ago named John Eldridge, our men's group, men's group read this book. He wrote a book called um, Wild at Heart, and uh, in that book he spoke of, I have a picture of that book I'll put up there. He spoke of, remember, he's speaking to men, right? And, and the subtitle of this is Discovering the Secret of the Man's Soul, Wild at Heart. And in there, he spoke of this tendency that men have to pursue what he called the golden-haired woman, you know? It's like, that's what I want, that fantasy woman, the perfect mate. It comes out other ways, too. This pursuit can be the perfect family, or it can be the perfect job. I'm pursuing this ultimate thing. I want more of this ultimate thing. I want to read to you what what Eldridge says about this, uh, pursuing the golden-haired woman. Listen to it. The world is a carnival of counterfeits, counterfeit battles, counterfeit adventures, counterfeit beauties. Battle your way to the top, says the world, and you are a man. Why is it then that the men who get there are often the emptiest, most frightened, prideful posers around? They are mercenaries, battling only to build their own kingdoms. There is nothing transcendent about their lives. And I would add, there is nothing honorable about their quest. The same holds true for adventure addicts. No matter how much you spend, no matter how far you take your hobby, it is still merely that, a hobby. And as for counterfeit beauties, the world is constantly trying to tell us that the golden-haired woman is out there. Go for her. The golden-haired woman the intrigue of the ultimate, the quest for more. Solomon would say that golden-haired woman isn't around, and he should know he had 300 wives and 700 other girls called concubines. I often see Solomon as a man who was looking for the ultimate, and he was looking for this ultimate in a world that is void of the ultimate, And it became meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And the words that he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes lead me to believe he finally realized, I'll never find that. Because abundance, the ultimate, is really only found in God. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and they might have it to the full, one translation says, that they might have it more abundantly. The intrigue of the more, the intrigue of the ultimate, when you're looking to this world to provide it, you're never going to find it. Until you come to the reality that there really is no perfect family, no perfect husband, no perfect girlfriend, no perfect church, no perfect job, no perfect anything, then you will always be pursuing something that doesn't exist and missing what's really available to you. Hmm. That kind of intrigue, intrigue of the more, it's dangerous. Let me talk to you how you might make decisions at the intrigue intersection as we're looking at this. And most of these ideas come from the passage that we're reading. The first one is, just do what your mom said. Consider the company you keep. (laughs) Consider the company you keep. You're at this intersection. Which way should you go? Should you go down this path? Should you go down that path? What about that path? Which path should I go? Well, take a look at some of the people who are ahead of you going down that path. And you say to yourself, I don't know if I want to be that guy. Hmm. Yeah, that might not be. I don't know if that's a good idea. It's kind of what what Solomon is saying in this passage. Because in verse 3, he begins and he says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Sounds intriguing, but the very next verse, he lays it out. In the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. So when you see someone walking in that direction on that path at the intrigue intersection and you see her feet are leading to death, he he <laughs> wow, he's poison. Then get away from that. I'm not going to follow that direction. That's a bad direction. How's that saying go? Choose your friend wisely because you become who they are. It's often hard to discern someone's heart though, isn't it? And like you're looking, I kind of think I want to walk down his path. And that person seems like a pretty decent person. Maybe I'll go with them. The only way you can really discern someone's heart is to speak to God about it and ask him to show you. And he will. This is the beauty of talking to God and having a relationship with him. You never go to God and you say, I really don't know if that's a good route for me to take there, God. Can you help me out? He never says this. Well, if you don't know, I'm not gonna tell you. It's just he doesn't have that in his vocabulary. He will help you on that. He will help you know who to hang around and who to avoid. Consider the company you keep. Second, consider the outcome. It's kind of along the same lines. What is the outcome of this path? As you're standing at that intersection of intrigue, what will your choice do in regards to your relationship to God? We didn't read verse 21, but... If we had, I'll put it on the screen for you, you would have noticed that it says, for your ways, remember Solomon's talking to his boys, and he says, your ways, boys, are in full view of the Lord, and he examines your paths. What I get from that is God's interested in what you're doing with your life. He's concerned about it. He wants you to make wise choices. And you know, some of the choices you'll make, especially if you're a Christ follower, if you call yourself a Christian, some of the choices you make are going to reflect on him, either well or poorly or poorly. What will the outcome of this path do in my relationship with God? How will how will the walk that I'm thinking of taking, how will that affect my relationship with Him? And and as you're considering the outcome of that path, what will it do in your relationship with other people? If you choose to walk in this direction, how's your life going to change? If you choose to walk in that direction, what will happen to your reputation? In verse 9, Solomon basically says, don't go there lest you lose your honor. And he talks about dignity. He says, what will it do to your relationship with other people? If you choose to walk in that direction, will you become ensnared? <laughs> ensnared. Ensnared. Again, we didn't read all the way down to verse 22, but had we done so, you would have seen these words, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. If you want to make the right choice at the intrigue intersection, just think what's gonna be the outcome of this path. And when you see the right direction, stay on target. Stay on target. We always want quick fixes in life. I always want a quick fix in life. But you have noticed that life is choices that you make again and again and again and again. And that forms your life's path. I feel like sometimes when we present the gospel to people, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior and have him transform you and change you, we invite them to the altar and they pray, yeah, Jesus, that's what I need. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to change my life. I feel like sometimes people can walk away from that interaction with God and say, I don't have any other tough decisions in front of me. I'm good now. I made all the hard ones. That is not the way it is. That's not the way it is. Solomon's noting in verse 7, well, look what he says in verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her and do not go near the door of her house. I feel like, do you ever play one of one of those games where you had the ball and you were supposed to make, it was like a handheld game and you're supposed to make that ball go in the right direction until you get it in the right hole? I, I feel like intrigue is always working against you there. It's always pulling you where that ball's not supposed to go and it goes into the wrong hole or however the game is designed. Because intrigue wants to pull me, it wants to pull you off of the target that God has given us. And so you choose a path consistently, day after day, night after night, moment by moment, you choose a path far from unhealthy intrigue, and you stay with it, stay on target. I want to ask you to turn to a different passage of scripture. I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 16, if you would please. I try not to do this to you. I try to preach from one passage of scripture or I put them all on the screen for you, but we're gonna do 11 verses. That's too much text for the screen. So if you don't mind, I hope it doesn't wear your thumb out and you get a blister. Psalm 16. And I wanna give you some some pointers to responding to intrigue. We're gonna read 11 verses again here. By the way, this is a messianic psalm, but it has application for you and me. Keep me safe, my God, For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines, this is kind of a weird verse, but we'll talk about it, verse six. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Keep, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Okay, so one of the first things I'd like you to see here is if you want to make wise decisions at this intersection, then find pleasure in what you have. I told you that verse six was kind of odd. It's on the screen. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's odd to you and me because we're not in that era But anyone in that era would have understood he's talking about when they came out of Egypt and they came into the promised land, they were given plots. And you might remember this section of plot was for this tribe of Israel. This plot was for that tribe of Israel. This was for that. And even individuals were given different portions of the land. And he's saying, you know, the boundary lines for the portion of the land that I have been given, it delights me. I have a delightful inheritance and I find pleasure in what I have been given. I want you to imagine if you were in that circumstance and you didn't bother to take pleasure in what you've been given. It wouldn't be as pleasant, would it? He's reminding us that when you delight in what God gives you, intrigue loses its attraction. And finding pleasure in what you have multiplies satisfaction. Those words rhymed. You can make a limerick out of it later if you're so inclined. Okay. Finding pleasure in what you have helps you Choose well at the intersection of intrigue. Second, find strength in who God is. And intrigue is powerful. It is incredibly powerful. And it's hard sometimes to make the right choices because it's like that magnetism, that draw. It works so well with clickbait. You know it does if you're online. But there's something way more powerful than intrigue. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so take your intrigue and your struggle with it to the cross of Christ and ask him not just for help, but for strength. Verses one and two begin, actually, the first sentence is a prayer. Psalm 16, one, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take reference. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. When you find yourself at the intersection of intrigue. That's the kind of prayer to pray. Third, as you stand at the intersection of intrigue, find joy in who God is making you. Find joy in who God is making you. That's why you're on the path. I feel like quite frequently in my past, particularly when I was younger, I kind of saw Christianity as a decision I made at one point, and then I just kind of tried to make it through life You know, Lord, help me, Jesus, get through the life. And then in the end, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And it was kind of like this passage from when I received Christ as my Savior, and, and the end was just something to survive and maybe put up with and have a little bit of fun along the way and just enjoy what I could and so on. But that path, that is a training ground, a refining ground, It is a road where God can change you into the person he wants you to be. And probably, the reason I didn't see that when I was a younger Christian is because I hadn't experienced much of it. But I say to you, with all humility, I am not the guy I was five years ago. Praise you, Jesus, for changing me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I take great pleasure in what you're turning me into. Thank you for that, God. You getting that? We have this idea sometimes because that passage from Jeremiah gets kind of stitched onto our brains that says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And we kind of stop there. The rest of the passage says God will take care of it. But we kind of stop there. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And then we walk through our Christian life with our head down saying, man, I'm just no good. I'm just a sinner. I'm just no good. And indeed, I am just a sinner saved by grace transformed by the power of his blood, inhabited by the person of his spirit, transforming from glory to glory. Oh man, I take joy in that. And when you take joy in who God is making you, it changes your attitude toward intrigue. Suddenly, intrigue isn't as intriguing as it once was. Look at verse 11, the last verse of that passage. It's almost like it was written for someone who was writing a sermon on traveling the path of life. (laughs) It wasn't, of course. But look what it says. God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Take joy in the path of life, what he's doing in your life, the way he's transforming you. Intrigue isn't always bad. I love mystery. I find it exhilarating. I told you a few years ago, we talked about coffee when it was discovered. I am thankful for that Ethiopian goat herder, Kaldi, who was intrigued by the coffee bean. yeah. I'm even glad Ben Franklin was intrigued by lightning and somewhat surprised that he's still alive. (laughs) See what I did there? I'm glad the bear went over the mountain, right? Yeah. But you and I know, you know and I know, that often, if we're not wise, intrigue can take us to places we want, ought not go. And I want to pray that you and I would find pleasure in what we have and that we would find strength in who God is and that we would find joy in who he's making us. So as the worship team comes, if you're comfortable doing so, would you please stand and we'll pray to that end. Would you bow your heart with me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your love for us, so thankful for your transforming power, so thankful for how you care about us, that the road we would walk would be pleasing to you and joyful to us and meaningful to eternity. I pray that you would help us find pleasure in what we have so we would not be intrigued by that which we are unfamiliar with. Help us see the beauty of what you've given us. Pray that you would give us strength, that we would find strength, rather, in who you are, God. And that no temptation has taken us except what's common to man, and you are faithful. You are able to deliver us from the temptation to provide a means of escape, even. Help us find that strength in who you are, more powerful than intrigue, and help us find joy in who you're making us. That joy is just so valuable and so important to us because it helps us to have hope as we face choices. Hope that when we make the right choice, the path ahead of us is one marked by your presence and your joy and great meaning. Make this happen, for it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.